Tempo Libre. For those of you who don't know, when we, we went to India last year, and, uh, and so as a, the very first team meeting, we sat down and, and we said, hey, we gotta, we gotta like do something fun and for the, for the kids. And, and you don't know this, but at Karube Home, this, this home that we support and we're in a relationship with, I've been in a relationship since 1999. Randall's been in a relationship after we got married, probably 2001. Um, we, uh, that is one of their favorite movies in the home, right? And so the very first day we showed up and the music started playing, Nacho and Steven came running through and they're like, ah, right? All, like all the 50 kids, all the other 50 Indian kids who had never seen Nacho Libre went, what is that? Right? It was like literally like, what is, who is this? Who is Nacho and Steven? Right? But like the kids were creeping who were like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Right? And they were quoting the, all the lines the entire time that Nacho and Steven were going through. It was hilarious. Right? And so anyway, that way, and so, and I loved the fact, and this is the funny thing, I told Scott, I told Scott like on Wednesday, I'm like, you know, or Thursday, I forget what day it was, I was talking to him, I said, here's the deal, man, it's like, Timothy's got this gift, and Kelly with this, like, Nacho and Steven, like, we've got to incorporate this into vintage more often, right? And he's like, ding, 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 right? So anyway, so they overnighted something and got it here, and this is a good time. So thank you for uh, letting them do that on my birthday. I literally, I just laughed until tears the entire time, so it's good. Real quick also, Gary Aragon, where are you? Right here. Okay, Gary's the one who came forward with that word, Okay. Uh, so let me, let me tell you how, and this, I want you all to hear this. This is how vintage rolls. We believe that God is still a God who speaks. Why would he stop speaking to his children? That would just be mean and cruel, right? Because I don't know about you, I need to hear his voice every day. And so sometimes we believe that God speaks in the context of a body, that he has a word that he wants to speak in the moment. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm in worship, God begins to stir things. He speaks into the moment. And so Gary came forward just in beautiful humility and said, hey, I wanted to submit this word. I feel like God's speaking in worship. Um, I feel like he's just saying John 3.16 and this desire to bring salvation today. And, and I just want to share that word. And, and, and I said, he's like, you do it as the Lord leads, right? So that's like fantastic. And so I took that. I prayed over it. So I believe that's right now. And so I came forward. And so what I want you to hear me say is this. As you're in worship, right, we, are a, we believe God's a God of order. He doesn't like to create a whole bunch of confusion. And so what I want to say is this. Is if God is speaking and, and you really feel like this real Thing of God saying, listen, I feel like God's speaking and has a word for us this morning. I want you to come and give it to me. Just submit it to me. Your job, listen, your job is not to speak it. Your job is to submit it. Right? That's the idea of how, like, the prophet's role is simply to come and to share the word with the person who's responsible, and then their job is done. And I may look at you and say, hey, Gary, actually, I want you to share that word. You're like, okay, right, and you share that. Or I may say, actually, I don't think that's for right now, but you hold on to that and you pray over that, pray for that over us. Or I may get up like I did this morning and say, I feel like God wants to share this. So I want to kind of just give you that. You can share that with anybody else at Vintage who wants to know, how do we do the gifts of the Holy Spirit on a Sunday morning? That's how we do this this prophetic thing, this God speaking to us. Okay? Are you all all cool with that? Is everybody like, I don't like this. I'm going to walk out and run away because I'm scared. Please don't do that, okay? We just believe God speaks today and he loves us too much not to speak. How do I know that? Because if you're a Christian, he spoke to you to lead you to him. 
right? And so we believe he still speaks to us today because he never stopped loving us. All right, let's dive in. We've been in this, this, this process of talking about the gods at war, right? It's a study we've been doing for the last uh, five and a half, six weeks. This is our last week. It's our last Sunday officially focusing on this study. And we've looked at all these different things. And so what I want you to do is this. I want. I, how many of you have ever driven a car? Or been in a car in your lifetime? Everybody, raise your hands high, right? If you've ever been, been driven, in a, driven in a car, ridden in a car, some of you are like, I'm too cool to raise my hand, right? Whatever, okay. So it's like all of us, all of us have been in a car, and all of us have looked at the dashboard, right? How many of you have kids who think it's their job to look at the dashboard and tell you you're speeding and breaking the law, right? Yes, okay? We had those types of... Yeah, you go right there, right? We all got those kids, right? So we all understand what the dashboard is, right? We understand what the dashboard is. But I believe we have what I would say, I believe God spoke a few weeks ago, is we all have a spiritual dashboard. A spiritual dashboard. And that spiritual dashboard is that, that thing in our lives that we are able to look at every day to gauge how we're doing in our walk with Him. And not like this, you're bad, you're good, but like, hey, where is, like, like, where is my passion for Jesus today? And where is my commitment to him? And, and where is my ability to hear his voice? And, and where am I in sin, right? And so we have these gauges, and I don't, we have this, practically speaking. You, throughout the day, you go, oh, I shouldn't do that, or I shouldn't say that, or whatever, or I should do this and should say that, because you're looking at the gauges. You're looking, saying, oh, this is God moving in the moment. So what I believe God's done for us in this study is he's given us this new gauge, or kind of awakened us to this gauge of idolatry. And what I mean by that, not to go, idolatry. No, it's simply to say, here's the gauge to let you know how you're doing in your commitment to staying true to God first and keeping all of the other lovers at bay. Right? And so, what's what we did with our small group? And I did it with some of you. I said, listen, guys, I want you to live very self-aware during the week. And I say self-aware, not like selfish. I mean, it's like you're aware of how you are doing in your relationship with God. I want you to be very aware of all the things that are clamoring for the affection, right? You know what I mean in this. The other lovers clamoring for the affection of your heart. The other things that are, I put it, I said it back here because the idea is that we forsake all others and are faithful only to Jesus as both as we shall live. This marriage covenant. You've all seen weddings on TV, movies, or been in one or gone to them, right? And forsaking all others, being faithful to you as long as we both shall live. And so when I do this, this means the other lovers, other things back here. When I do this through my message, this is other lovers, okay? In case you're like, why is he waving his arms in that really weird way, right? This is other lovers clamoring for our affection, trying to take the place of God in our lives, and so this, I've given you a gauge. We've given you tools. And, and this, over the last six weeks, you've been praying into and, and reading and being honest with yourself and honest with the situation. And you've created a gauge. And now this gauge needs to remain forever on the dashboard of your mind and your heart in relationship with him. I'm basically saying, look at it every day. It doesn't take a lot of listen. I don't sit there and just like stare at my oil pressure gauge every day when I'm driving. Oh my gosh, how's my oil pressure doing? Ah, right now, I look and I say, oh, it's good. Right? And I get back in the car, still good, right? And so that's what you're doing. It's not like you're like freaking out. Oh, idolatry. Oh. No, it's like I just want to be honest with God, honest with myself, self-aware. How am I doing? And so I've given you, we've given you a new gauge. Please continue to use it. Our, our, 
our affection for God and our pursuit of him is the priority and preeminent thing in our life does not now go away because our God's at war study is over. Okay? We don't, not, we, don't, we don't go, click, I've got an idol taken care of. I'm good to go for the rest of my life. No, we said our hearts are idol factories producing idols. New, our lovers, other lovers clamoring every day, right? The enemy prowls about like a roaring lion seeking those he can devour. What does he, how does he present himself? With other lovers. Things that draw our affection and attention away from God. And so, in this, we have to live honest, right? We are called to be honest about these other, these things, right? Other lovers. Remember? Other lovers. We're called to be honest about other lovers that clamor for the affection of our heart. Honest about the idols that we face. Or, I would say this. Some of you, listen, have familiar idols, don't you? It's the same familiar lover over and over and over again that presents him, presents itself before you. So this has been a study of naming that so you can become aware of it, right? So you can be honest with it and face it. We have to become, listen, we have to become honest about what I would say our unfortunate ignorance that we live into the idols that are actually thriving in our lives, we're ignorant. We're completely unaware and clueless. I mean, people said to me, like week one, week two, Steve, I just can't. I don't think there's any idols in my life. I just can't see them. And I was like, oh, that's maybe the idol of pride. I'm just saying, right? No, you know, getting at it. So God began to do a work in people's lives and began to expose. It was, but they were they were ignorant. They become so ignorant because why? Because idols become such a fabric of our being that we don't even see them, unfortunately. So we're ignorant of that. But to be honest about the truth that we are our own worst enemies at destroying idols in our lives, because I don't know about you, but I can defend myself better than anybody else in the world. Like I can defend myself, I can protect myself, I can, put out, I can guard myself better. I'm really good. I have lots of practice at it. And so I am my, and my own worst enemy. And so we've been talking about all of this stuff and allowing God to move in us. And so this week is our last one. We're talking about the gods of self, okay? The gods of self are the God of me, okay? Not as in Steve me, but as in you me, right? The God of me. You're saying that to yourself, the God of me. And Kyle Eidelman, who's been uh, doing this study and being like the face we've seen in our videos, he makes this point this week, and I want you to hear me say it, and you'll hear it again, because uh, I think it kind of sums up the whole conversation. He says, listen, all of our false gods really represent one God. All of our false gods really represent one God, the God of self or the God of me. So Cameron Woods in my small group, he's over here holding the baby, kind of playing over here. I ain't paying attention to him in his He's right there, right? So Cameron, I'll never forget, two weeks ago, he said, he's like, oh, guys, I was like, I figured it out. Every single one of the things we're talking about really revolves around me and self. Everything is an idol of selfishness, right? Here's a prophet right here. He figured it out. No, all of us in our groups have probably come to the same realization. If you look at the idols that we face, they really all do come back this high degree of selfishness, don't they? Because every single one of the idols that we wrestle with, that we deal with, they are things that we have allowed into us. Those are things, even as probably that we have invited into our lives, we've chosen them. Why? Because ultimately, in this, we want them. I mean, other lovers present themselves and we're tempted because part of us wants them. 
The, the love of money, right? The love of power and influence. The love of, of pleasure, right? The, 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 it's the love of, of purest enjoyment in life, right? And happiness. We, we choose them. We choose them. We make them a priority in our life. A few weeks ago, I named one that I felt like a lot of people in America specifically deal with. It's the, the idol of self-reliance. I mean, think about it. The forefathers came and said, hey, you as an individual, you have the right to life. You have the right to liberty. You have the right to the pursuit of your own personal happiness. And in that, they planted the roots of one of the greatest idols that every single American faces. It is a good thing that unfortunately very easily becomes an ultimate thing that defines our life. I'm not saying we shouldn't have those. But I don't necessarily find those in Scripture as being a defining characteristic of things we should fight for in our life. And you know what I mean in that, right? How it pours over into our own selfish self-reliance and self-empowerment and trusting self more than anything else in life. We have fashioned a God of me, a God of self, out of our own selfish desires and placed it on the throne of our hearts and we become very comfortable with it. And this is what we've been fighting about and fighting with for the last five or six weeks and something now with the gauge in your life that which you, can, you will continue to fight for the rest of your life. Why? Because God knows that when, listen, you need to hear this, because when idols and something else other than him is the priority, number one thing in your life, you die not just a slow death sometimes, but a very quick death. Because if it's not eternal, then it can't eternally satisfy you. Only, you just remember we said, only eternal beings can only ultimately be satisfied by eternal things. Meaning anything that's going to fade away in on the earth will only satisfy for a moment. And so God allows us, out of his kindness, to allow those things to begin to dissatisfy and awaken us to our deaths. We go, oh, so we turn to him who is eternal so he can bring us life. So this morning what I want to do is I want to look at a, a Bible character that most of you have heard of. I would say 99% of you have heard of him before. You may not know you've heard of him, but you have. There's this guy named, who, how I think, kind of shapes this for us, right? He, he kind of helps us see what this God of self looks like on a, on a grand scale. And we're going to look at four questions in a few minutes that help diagnose for you how you're doing in this, this, this struggle against the idol of self, okay? So the character we're going to look at uh, this morning is King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to fumble over his name a couple times this morning. Just be nice about it, okay? Don't laugh at me too hard, right? King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you don't know him, you probably do. He was the king who was king that threw Daniel into the lion's den. That's King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the one who took Daniel and threw him into the lion's den because Daniel didn't do what Daniel was supposed to do in his own eyes. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Babylon came into Jerusalem, sacked it, destroyed it, burned it, took everyone back in to their own country. It was the, the largest, most powerful city in the world at the time. And King Nebuchadnezzar was known as an evil pagan monarch. He was, listen, Babylon is where present-day Iraq is. And so Saddam Hussein once said, I am the successor to Nebuchadnezzar. 
He wanted to fashion his leadership and his and his and who he was around this evil pagan king. All none of us in this room probably want to have Saddam Hussein as our best friend. I'm just saying, right? None of us probably were really all that sad and he got captured and went through all this stuff, right? None of us were ultimately probably probably like, yes, he deserves that. Why? Because he was evil. He did evil atrocity type things, right? We see Nebuchadnezzar in his lifetime. His lifetime, one of this, he would do horrible things. I'm going to do something really graphic because I want to paint this picture for you. So at one point in time, this is very graphic. So just, but I want you to hear the nature of how evil he was. At one point in time. This, this king he didn't like. He captured the king and captured his son, brought him before him, and looked at and had the, had the king's the, this other guy right here, and and this, his son sitting over here. And King Nebuchadnezzar goes over, gouges his eyes out, and then kills him. Brutal. And Nebuchadnezzar comes back over to the king, this boy's father, and gouges out his eyes and lets him live. Just and says. I want the last thing you ever see is your child suffering. He was not a good man. He was not a great king. But he was the most powerful man who lived at his time and who, and who was the king of the most powerful city in the, most, in the, in the, powerful, like in, in the, in the known world. The most powerful city in the known world. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And so when we think about him, he is this man who in our world, you would probably never think about reading anything that he wrote and celebrate it. You would never think, I want to take what he's written, I want to make it a part of my life. There's nothing about him that's ultimately redeeming, nothing that's ultimately good. And so we come down, if you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse 1. You can look on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 is to the right of Psalms and Proverbs. Daniel chapter 1. And it says this. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I don't know if you know this or not, but King Nebuchadnezzar wrote chapter 4 of Daniel. And so in this moment, right, we have this ruthless, godless king who basically has written a worship song that Harvest could very easily, because she's so skilled and magnificent, could very easily put this into a song. And he's written a chunk of the Bible that you celebrate and call the inspired word of God. And so what we've experienced here is this literary device that has become very popular these days known as reverse chronology. You've no doubt seen movies or read novels or seen television shows that, that use and embrace this reverse chronology, right? This is when the story begins by revealing some extraordinary or shocking ending and then goes back to show what led to such a conclusion, right? When you see the beginning scene, it becomes, it seems so outrageous. It seems so outrageous, so unbelievable. You ask yourself, how could this 
have happened. So basically, like if I sat here this morning, hey, listen, guys, I got some just some fresh rhema word from God. Adolf Hitler actually wrote this part of scripture that we celebrate. You go, what? No, 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 no. Right. That's the most crazy thing I've ever heard. And so this is the idea for the Israelites. They look and say, I cannot believe that King Nebuchadnezzar, who burned our temple, who sacked our city, now has a place in our Bible. And here he is. He's writing to us. And it's scripture. And he's writing a worship song to us. What? This is outrageous. Reverse chronology. Everyone who looks at it goes, are you serious? It's kind of like when you watch one of those television shows, you know what I'm talking about. It kind of pans in. It kind of goes from dark to all of a sudden light. And you see, what do you see? You see someone who's sitting in a chair kind of start their feet. As you go up the seat, the seat you begin to see them in their feet. They're, they're bound and they're gagged, right? And you come up and you see them and they're like fidgeting and they've got tears and they've got their bruise from being beaten, right? And you can just tell they're like, oh, all right, freaking out. And all of a sudden the camera then pans over to a table and sitting on a table, right, is this like, there's a bomb, right? It was like dynamite and these red and blue and green wires. I don't know, it was always those colors, right? Always kind of coming out and all twirled, right? And there's a timer on it says 58, 57, 56. And you're like, ah, ah. And like, because this is like the lead character. Like, you talk about this person, right? You think he's so good looking, right? So whatever it may be, though he can't die, I'll never watch the show again if this person dies. What's going on? What's happening, right? And all of a sudden it goes, five weeks earlier, Right? Reverse chronology. That's what's happening here. This whole thing that happens, right? Whole thing that happens is this overwhelming, and then the story begins. Because what we see is they know who he is, they know his story, and he's written this part of scripture. And they're going, this is outrageous. What's happening? He says, now let me tell you my story, which begins in chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that, that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So notice, he's at the pinnacle of his success, right? He's in the greatest city. He's the greatest king. His kingdom is the greatest kingdom. Everything is going well. Everything is going right. It's the pinnacle of success for him. He is content and prosperous in this moment, and all of a sudden, he has a nightmare. The night, he's in this moment, everything's great, and out of God's kindness, God gives him a nightmare, where he sees this enormous tree, enormous tree that's visible all the way to the ends of the earth, and this tree is abundant with fruit. And in verse 13, King Nebuchadnezzar says, In the visions I saw while lying on my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but... Let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let it be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. And so God sends this dream to awaken him, to, to bring him to attention, saying, I've been living life. Hey, things are great. Everything's perfect. I'm loving life. Wham! And he's freaking out. 
right? He's freaking out the moment he calls the magicians, he calls the wise men, no one can figure it out. So he calls the chief of the wise men, Daniel, because Daniel has this ability to interpret dreams, right? He has a word of knowledge, a gift of discernment, right? He comes in the moment, Daniel hears the dreams, and Daniel's disturbed. Not because he's probably afraid of Nebuchadnezzar, but because ultimately he likes the king, and he's disturbed because he knows what's about to happen. Remember, Daniel feared God, not human beings, right? And so Daniel looks at him in verse 20 and says, You are the tree. Remember, Babylon, greatest city of the world, greatest king. And he says, You are the tree. You're about to be cut down. And in verse 25, he says, Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar says, You will be driven away from people. And will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle, be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. Ultimately, say until you acknowledge that God, the God of my God, is Lord over all. He's sovereign. He's in ultimate control, right? And he gives, and he's sovereign and powerful and gives them over, excuse me, gives them to anyone he wishes. Basically, my God, this God is over all, and you've made yourself out to be like him, right? In this dream, everything's going to come crashing down. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he had made an idol of self. He'd been a great, great American, right? An idol of self. Everything revolved around his ability, his power, his happiness, his pleasure, all of these things. And so in that, we come these four questions we can ask for a self-diagnosis. I want you to write these questions down. This is going to be the gauge for you. This is going to be the gauge. You can take a, listen, at the very end, you can take a picture. All four are going to be up here at the end of the service, right? You can take a picture with your phone. I want you to look at it. I want you to be aware of it, right? The first question we can ask ourselves and see an answer in Nebuchadnezzar is this. Question number one, what motivates you? When you get up in the morning, what motivates you? What gives you power? What, what causes you to get up, causes you to move in life? For Nebuchadnezzar, it was really simple. His motivation was clear. It was to impress others. Why do you think in chapter 3, he built this big, massive statue and looked at all, everyone said, Hey, I want you to be impressed by me, so I've built this big statue, and I want you all to bow down and worship it, and I'm so, so in, I'm so like, and so secure, like I'm so like into this, that you, if you don't bow down and worship it, I'm going to kill you. It's just how it's going to be, right? Because he wants people to be impressed by him, by his power, by his influence, right? So what motivates you? What motivates you? Do you do things but like, do you do something so that your mom can see you do it? Do you do something so your spouse will see you do it? Do you do something so your neighbors will be aware of it? When you, something happens, do you do it? Like this, this desire to impress at work motivates you? Do you get up every morning with this thought of what can I do today and the ideas so it can impress other people? They can be aware of me, how great I, listen, every, I would say 99% of high school students, junior high students, and college students go to school for one purpose, to impress others. They want to be seen, and the idea is, I want to be popular, I want to be cool, I want to be whatever it is. And we all, listen, every single one of us is still a junior high and high school kid in our mind. Every single one of us. We never leave it. We're always there. We're always trying to impress, right? And King Nebuchadnezzar is in the exact same place. Question number two, what is your standard for success? How do you gauge success? What's your standard that today was a successful day? Why? I told you a couple weeks ago, put it on my forehead. Don't forget it, right? Personal success here, I just, the standard for success for Nebuchadnezzar was personal gain. 
He defined his success by what he could gather, what he could, what could belong to him. Listen, he had a palace. You know how big it was? It's covered 630,000 square feet. A little bigger than my house, I'm just saying. He won personal gain. Everything he wanted, stuff and things, right? Listen, he loved the American Christmas, I'm just saying. He loved American Christmas. He didn't get all the stuff he wanted, right? He can write the big fat jolly men and get whatever he wanted. Perfect timing, right? He loves it. Personal gain. Question number three. Nothing wrong with getting gifts. Get me plenty, okay? Number question number three. What's your source of power? What's your source of power? For Nebuchadnezzar, it was simple. And I named it for us a couple weeks ago. Self-empowerment or self-reliance. Can I be, I'm just going to be really transparent with you all, okay? Not Friday morning. This is... Kind of like confession time. I get to do this, and I don't want to, but I have to sometimes, right? So, but I want you to hear this in action. So, so Friday morning, I'm driving, uh, I'm driving to my accountability uh, group, right? And I'm driving by this piece of property that's on the radar screen that, that we may purchase because we can't stay here forever. And I lost some of you. are like, really? Talk more about that. What's going on? That's none of your business right now, right? Just kidding. I'll talk about it later. Not right now. It's not the point of the story, right? And so... So, this, so I'm just driving by, and, and I look at it, and I'm like, oh. And I hear God say, as clear as day, how differently are you viewing getting this piece of property as someone up to turn 40 years old, which I always thought of as being an adult, versus how you would have handled it when you were in your early 20s? And I begin to think, well, how would I handle it now? My handling it now is, well... With my um, strength finders, told me I have the gift of woo and gift of influencing. So I guess I'm not thinking I'm going to, who can I call, right? Who can I call? How can I make this happen? If I make a phone call, they're going to like me. I'm going to woo them into liking me. They're going to give me a great deal. Maybe give it to us for free. That'd be praise God, right? But, but I could still tell my story about coming in, making that phone call, making it happen, talking to this person, kind of knocking on the door over here, right? Just making someone like me, right? And make that happen. Like, oh my gosh, we just want to get, like, whatever it is. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, how can I, in my own power, make this happen? Because I'm a person of influence. That's my first thinking. And all of a sudden, I remember when I was 23, my first response would have been go straight to my knees and invite other people with me to come and to pray that God would make this happen. And I was undone. Like I say I was undone, I'm like, oh, thanks God for that. And I was like, oh, came to accountability and sat down with my guys. I'm like, oh, I was just, I was just reeling from this revelation, this awareness of self that I've gotten to, that I never would have deemed that imaginable that I would be that guy because I'm a faith guy. I've seen legs grow when I pray. I've seen demons cast out of people, right? I've seen people healed immediately when I pray for them. I've seen, I've seen crazy things happen with money. People don't have any. And like 30 minutes later, they have everything. They need. I, I, I've seen and prayed these prayers of faith and believed God for things that I could never do. And I go, oh, Jesus, right? I mean, I stood in the middle of a, of a fast food restaurant and prayed for someone that couldn't even bend their back. And they just went down on their knees and stood back up. We were literally in a happy circle dance. It's right there in the middle of this, this restaurant. Like, oh, look what Jesus did, right? And people were like, you're so weird. We know. So is Jesus. He's awesome, right? Like, this is who I am. I'm like, oh, God, I have an idol of self-empowerment and self-reliance because I, pretty, I think I'm pretty freaking awesome. I can make anything happen. Those are the words that I think of when I use about myself. And God exposed my heart, right? And, and Nebuchadnezzar is the exact same way. Number four, and I say that to y'all not just to make a point. I mean, I, 
I mean, literally, I'm reeling from this. This is a real present thing. I'm having to wrestle with the Lord, okay? So you can pray for me about it. Question number four, what's the purpose of your life? Why do you, why do you wake up every morning, right? For, for Nebuchadnezzar, it was real simple. It was personal happiness. He just wanted to have fun, right? He lived for the weekend. Everything's about Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? He just wanted to live for the moment. He wanted to be happy. He wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted to embrace his life, his liberty, and pursuit of happiness. He wanted to do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it, right? He wanted no one to be able to tell him what he could and could not do, right? If it makes me happy, that's what I'm going to do, right? Because I have the right to that, and no one has the right to tell me what I can do. No one can infringe upon my personal rights, personal happiness. And so all the answers, then, of how you answer those will speak to how you're doing with the idol of self. Because if your answers are anything like Nebuchadnezzar or like mine, because I have all of these like Nebuchadnezzar in some form or fashion that I have to die to, not to struggle with every day, right? If they're anything like this, there's a possibility that you are struggling with the idol of self, which encompasses every other idol. And these lovebirds back here are clamoring, and they're about to crawl up on here. they got to hold the idol and excuse me, on the hold of this throne where only Jesus belongs. Verse 27, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice, which is a really, really polite and honoring way of saying, I'm God's voice. Either do this or else. All right? That's what, that's what happens when prophets speak. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness. Renounce your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be possibly that then your prosperity will continue. Daniel warning him. But the problem of making yourself a god is that, you listen, the problem of making yourself a god is you don't take corrective criticism or advice very well. How many of you this week would say someone tried to correct something that I did and they were probably in the right, tried to give me advice when really when I didn't want it in my own personal time and I got frustrated, a little bit angry with them? Ding, 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 right? Happened to me several times. Never happened with Randall giving me advice. I'm just saying, right? Maybe it did, right? Because that's what happens in these relationships that we're in. People who love us like God loves us try to correct us, tries to, you know, let's say correct us, not correct us, and then like correct our trajectory, the direction that we're going. Correction is like, oh no, not that direction. There's a ravine over here. Correct yourself, right? Thank you is what you should say, people, right? I'm really bad at that. So anyway, keeps on going in verse uh, 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months, listen, twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And all of a sudden, in the moment, verse 33 tells us, immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was filled, fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Can you just press pause and tell yourself it was God's kindness that caused this to happen? How does that mess with your theology? For seven years... Seven years, he was like this. For seven years, it was God's will, God's desire to humble him with hair like the feathers of an eagle. Because God says, I don't stand for anything 
any other lover to be on the idol of your heart because I love you too much and I will correct you even if it's difficult, even if it's for seven years of difficulty. For seven years, he walked around like a wolf man. Not like wolf man used to be on TV. You know what I'm talking about? The wolf man, whatever. Not that wolf man. He was, he was funny looking, but good looking, right? It's like, no, this, this like a wolf man, like the kids sing, ah, and they run away. Or the kids go, come here, come look at the king. There he is, there he is. Oh, no, look at this, run, 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 right? Whatever it may be, this is what happened to him, right? God humbled him, and in verse 34, it says this. Nebuchadnezzar says this. The king, who was the most powerful king, says, At the end of that seven years, the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes in humility, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion, not mine. His kingdom endures from generation to generation, not mine. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing, including myself. I'm adding some things here, but it's what you would think. He does what God does, what he pleases with the powers of heaven. He does what he pleases. Listen, he does what he pleases with the people of earth. This man who thought he was a god is humbled and made a beast and is awakened to reality that he's just a human being. And that, my friends, is profound. I want you to hear that because this applies to me. It applies to you and our placing other things in the idol because all idols are an idol of self. We do that because we think we are a God. And God will make us low and humble us. God opposes the proud, right? And eventually, so eventually we realize that we are just a human being in need of the living God. Skip into verse 37. Look what Nebuchadnezzar says. He's, what he's learned now. The kind of, kind of full picture, right? Here he is, Adolf Hitler, writing a worship song, right, that you like. Nebuchadnezzar over here writing this thing. We're like, what? What? Are you kidding me? Here's the story come full circle. It says, now he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right, all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar takes himself off the throne of the heart. He knows that there is only one God, and that it's not him. And so we ask the questions again and post them up here so everybody can look at them and take a picture of it. Again, what motivates you? Instead of impressing others, the answer becomes pleasing God. Right? When you woke up today, was your primary motivation of everything that happened today, everything that got you out of bed today, was it motivated by your desire to please God, a Father who loves you? So now what is your standard for success? Nebuchadnezzar shift from personal gain to faithfulness to God. So what you have, what is, what, how do you gauge success in your life? Well, you're faithful to God. So at the end of the day, if you made no money in your job, you made no money this right this month in your job. If you're in this place of difficulty, you say, but today was a success because I was 100% faithful or I repented when I wasn't faithful and became faithful. I was faithful to God above everything else. And no matter if I'm living in utter poverty, right? Remember Paul says, whether in, in, in times of sickness or in health or in times of plenty or in times of need, I've learned to be content. Why? Because my success 
is gauged by my faithfulness to God. I'm awful at this. Number three, what's your source of power? Self-empowerment? No, it's dependence on God. I wake up every day and pray, God, without you today, nothing will be successful, and I actually mean it. I don't just say it to try to make you do something for me. Do you ever try to say the right thing, try to twist God's arm? Well, if I say the right thing, do the right thing, he has to do something for me. Now, I'll do that. I literally wake up with an utter and complete dependence on God because today will be worthless without them. And the last one is, what is the purpose of your life? It's really simple. To bring God glory. What does that mean, Steve? Well, it means you wake up every day with a sole purpose of wanting to make his name known. Everywhere that you go, you say, I'm not making much of me. I'm not making much of my skills and my abilities and the things that I possess. I'm making much of God. And everywhere I go, the things that I say and the things that I do, I just want to make God known. Verse 34, we see the answer for us. It says that Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes towards heaven. And so this morning, at the end of this study, and you get to go through the rest of this week and look at it, you have these questions. I want you to bring the questions back up. These are going to be your gauge. Because in, this, in these questions, if we're not answering them correctly, then unfortunately we have our eyes down. But in humility, that's what the picture is. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar was willing to just, he had grit his teeth. He was standing opposed to God and finally reached the end and he looked up. And the looking up is just like the prodigal son falling at the feet of the father. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign that I've given up. It's a sign that I've given over and I'm trusting you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we come into this time of ministry, I pray, Jesus, that you would make every single one of us miserable in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our idols. God, I pray for each person here who's completely ignorant of the idols in their life. God, I pray that you would make them so unsettled and so discontent that they almost feel like they're going to throw up. God, I I say that because, God, it's your kindness that leads us to that place of getting over ourselves and giving ourselves over to you. God, we don't have time. We don't have time. Scripture is very clear. You're coming quickly. We don't have time. There comes a moment, Jesus, where it becomes too late to turn to you. There's a, and there's not much time. God, every single believer and disciple, including Peter and Paul, thought that you were coming within their generation because you call us to live as if you're coming tomorrow. And God, the reality is we don't have time to live in our idolatry of self because, God, tomorrow may be our last day. And God, we don't say that it's to produce fear. We say it because it's just honest. And, Father, today is the day that we look up and we return away from all of these things, these idols of self. I pray, Father, you would make us miserable in our sin today. This morning, I want to invite you. I want to implore you.